3: Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify,
1: or wherever you get your podcasts. This bonus episode of the Sheridan Tapes was made possible by our backers on Patreon: Bill Hubbard, Rel. Debra West, and Boglemeister. If you'd like to support the show as well, please go to patreon.com slash homesteadcorner, for as little as $5 a month you get early access to ad-free versions of episodes, a special weekly behind-the-scenes podcast, and patron-only AMA live streams. Before we get started, this episode contains depictions of death, loss, and grief as a result of a natural disaster and murder, depictions of an earthquake and building collapse, discussions of clinical depression and a cancer diagnosis, and a mention of child death as a result of a train crash. Content warnings and a full transcript are available in the show
4: notes. The Source. The infinite potential of all worlds. The roiling chaos that is the heart of all existences. The place where all space and time and realities meet and coexist as one. A place that is not a place. In a time that is not a time. Many years ago, in the world that I once called home, there was a child, a boy barely 12 years old, playing with his friends on the railway tracks. A normal enough thing for children trapped in a decaying town on the edge of the modern world to do. But there was an accident. A derailed train. A chemical spill. A question asked by a voice none but the child could hear, and all the other children playing on the tracks were lost, except for that child himself, Paul. There are many paths his life could have taken, many branches in the road shaped by choice and chance in the unsteady hand of fate, but out of all the possible futures I have seen for him, this one intrigues me the most. I cannot say if it is the future of the world I knew or just one like it, but still, it intrigues me.
5: Damn
6: it. Honey, I'm home. Alan put me on a new assignment today. Want to guess who I get to investigate?
1: Come on, guess. You're gonna love this one. ...from a tree as this amazing amateur video...
6: Honey, where are you? You're home late. Ah!
7: Almost say you're half of the roast. What took you so long? Jesus Christ,
6: Ada. You know I hate it when you sneak around like that. Yes, I do. I'm sorry, okay? I said I was sorry. No,
7: you didn't. What? You didn't say you were sorry. Look, I know you hate cleaning the dishes as much as I hate you sneaking around. What's... Going on. Stop psychoanalyzing, Lara. That's my job. Seems like it's going to be my job too for the next few months.
6: Explain. Alan's put me on another story. Big expose. You'll never guess who on.
7: I won't if you don't give me anything to go on. Silverman. What? (laughs) I
6: know. So if I'm gonna dig up anything on Hold on, back up.
7: You get put on what might be the biggest story in modern history, and you're unhappy about it? I'm unhappy
6: that Alan's wasting my time
7: with this. Wasting your time? Well, isn't he? You don't think he's hiding anything under all that bravado? No, of course he isn't. He's... Why are you looking at me like that? Because I'm not quite sure who's standing in my kitchen. I'm fairly confident I married a reporter. Investigative journalist, please. Same difference. You're telling me you've bought the hype? He saved hundreds of people. And that means he doesn't have any skeletons in his closet? Don't you think he's allowed a few? I don't know. Do you think a nuke should be allowed a few loose wires? Oh, come on, Ada. He could level DC before the president had a chance to tweet about it. Not sure if anyone would miss it, honestly. He needs to be held to a higher standard, and whether you like it or not, that's your job, Mrs. Lara Lynn Jacobs.
6: You're... probably right. Probably? I... really don't want to fight Ada.
7: Really? Yeah, really. Shame. That one was shaping up to be a doozy. <laughs> that it was. What do you want to do, then?
6: I want to take that leftover roast, microwave it on high for 30 seconds, and eat it in front of the TV like a normal human being for once. Sounds exciting. Mind if I join you? Only if you'll change over to something other than the news. Oh, the
7: things I do for love.
6: (laughs) My hero. What the hell?
7: Lara, quick! Get in the doorway! Get in the... Look out!
2: Whoops. Sorry for the rough catch, miss.
7: What? Who? Silverman?
2: Stay calm. Just hold on while I set you down here. There you are. I... you... Sorry. Hope you'll forgive me if I make a quick exit.
4: Where?
7: could <laughs> get the last word with
6: you. Please. Just try to hold on. Silverman's here. We just need to wait for Ada. Ada. <sighs>
2: There you are. I worried it might be late. Miss Lynn, right?
6: Please, just Lara. Pleasure to meet you at last, Silverman.
2: Just silver, if you don't mind. I wasn't, I hope. Wasn't what? Late. I've had a hard time keeping track of appointments these days. Completely forgot about our interview until just now.
6: Lucky you can fly then.
2: Helps beat the traffic anyway. Ready to go?
6: Of course. This way. Huh. Odd choice. Is it? Well,
2: I don't know how this normally goes, but I thought reporters liked things a little more upscale.
6: You're thinking of the wrong type of journalist. I'm not interested in appearances. Just the truth.
2: Sorry if I'm wrong, but I get the feeling you don't like me very
6: much. It's my job not to.
2: No, it's more than that. You generally don't like me. Personally, I mean.
6: Hmm. <sighs> no. I genuinely don't. You got me. Why? Well, it's a long, messed up story, and I don't want to get into it now.
2: They're a short version? Let's just say
6: that I'm one of the people you couldn't save. You still want to go through with the interview? Of course. Oh, sorry. One second. Hello? We need to talk. You couldn't text? No, I couldn't. I'm in the middle of an interview. I'll call you back.
8: Who was that?
6: I thought you could hear everything.
2: Most everything. I'm a little deaf in my left ear, actually. At least close up.
6: Huh. When did that happen?
2: Are we starting the interview?
6: I suppose we are. What's that? Recorder. Hell of a lot easier than writing things down longhand. So, you're deaf in one ear.
2: My left. Ever since I was a kid.
6: But only at close distances.
2: That's right. If you were 10 blocks away, I could hear you clear as a bell.
6: You don't think there's a problem with that? Huh? You don't think that's an invasion of privacy, listening in like that?
2: Well, I can't hear everyone. But you could
6: hear anyone, right? If you wanted
2: to. If you're accusing me of something dirty, then- This is
6: an investigative report, Silver. I'm not accusing you of anything so lurid. What I want to know is this. If you were floating outside a building, could you clearly hear whatever was going on inside?
2: Of course I could. I could hear it across town if I needed to. If you needed to? Well, if someone called for help, or if there was a fire burning and I had to figure out if anyone was inside, then... What
6: if you heard someone say they were going to kill someone else? What would you do then?
2: Well, it... Depends.
6: Depends. So, it's happened before.
2: Yes, it's happened before. Often? More often than you'd think.
6: What does it depend on, your response?
2: Mostly tone of voice, honestly. You can kind of tell after a while. If it's level or quiet... I'm
6: going to kill you. What? Is that the kind of voice that makes you worry?
2: Um, yes. Exactly like that.
6: And that's enough for you to smash someone's door down.
2: Well, yes. Wouldn't you?
6: I can't hear people talking across the county.
2: But if you could?
6: It's not a matter of if I could or would. It's a question of if I should. Or if I should be able to listen in on them in the first place.
2: I didn't ask to hear them. The
6: CIA never asked for a global communications network to hack. And yet, they do, and we're still not sure if and when that's okay.
2: I'm not the CIA. I'm just trying to help people.
6: And I'm sure everyone at Langley tells themselves the same thing before they go to bed.
2: Is this still an interview, Miss Lynn? I feel like you're accusing me of something.
6: Lara, I just want you to explain yourself in your own words.
2: Explain myself?
6: A lot of investigative reporters don't interview their subjects directly. There's no need. The facts speak for themselves. But you have a, well, a rather unique perspective. What does someone with powers think of those powers? Call it the superhuman angle? Please
2: don't use that word.
6: What, superhuman? Why not?
2: It makes me feel disconnected. I mean, I'm still human, just... Better? No, no, not better. Just different.
6: Physicists at MIT estimate that you could deadlift a panzer super-heavy tank and throw it a quarter mile. You can fly at Mach 2.1 with virtually unlimited range, and you can see through walls and hear conversations from nearly 100 miles away. I'd say that's a pretty serious difference between you and I.
2: Is that a file on me? Just my research notes. What else is in there?
6: I wouldn't be worried about my file, Silver. I hear the FBI has an entire division solely focused on you now.
2: Why would they need that?
6: Oh, come on. What? You're more powerful than most of the U.S. military put together. But you fly around the city acting like some kind of one-man neighborhood watch, just trying to help. Are you really that naive?
2: Maybe I am. You considered that?
6: I have. And that scares me more than the alternative.
2: What's the alternative? You tell me. Christ, what kind of person do you think I am?
6: I don't know yet. That's what this report is for.
2: In my own words. Sorry? You wanted me to explain myself, in my own words.
6: Well, yes. A little context would definitely help. Do you have
2: anything to drink in here? I'm a little parched.
6: There's some water in that fridge over there.
2: Thanks. Ah, much better.
6: Flying a take it out of you?
2: Well, that and other things. So where do I start? Guess I'll start with a story. It was a few years ago, just after I got started. Well, doing this.
6: Before the earthquake or after?
2: Oh, at least a few months before. It was around New Year's. City was packed. I was working around the clock already, trying to keep drunk tourists from running over pedestrians.
6: Glamorous work.
2: Not if you're an insurance adjuster. Anyway, I've barely gotten any sleep in three days, and I was just about to throw in the towel when- Throw
6: in the towel? Not a very heroic sentiment.
2: I was exhausted, all right, and New York's made it through plenty of New Years without my help. But then I heard someone calling for help outside the city, so I flew over to check it out. The voice was coming out of an abandoned warehouse just outside of Morristown, but it was begging for help, so I rushed in. Soon as I was inside, I realized the voice was coming out of a little speaker in the middle of the room. Then the voice changed with someone calling themselves the controller, said they'd planted bombs all over the city and that I'd trip the motion sensor when I came in. If I tried to leave, all of them would go off before I could reach Manhattan. So what did you do? Remind me. Is the city still here? The controller told me I had to surrender if I wanted to save the city. Of course I agreed. I didn't have any choice. The room was full of all kinds of medical equipment. One of the machines looked like an MRI and he told me to strap myself into it. Soon as I did felt a needle prick on my neck. And then the next thing I knew, a police officer was shaking me awake three days later.
6: I think you skipped a step in there somewhere.
2: <laughs> One thing the controller didn't count on was me asking for help. I sent a message to a contact of mine in the NYPD. He sent out the bomb squad while the controller was doing whatever it was he was doing to me. I kept him busy while they disarmed the bombs and traced my phone. They saved the city. I was just a big, shiny distraction to let them do their jobs. And the best part? The press didn't know anything about
6: it. Why do you think that's a good thing?
2: Because if I were doing this, any of this, to prove something to other people, then I shouldn't be doing it at all. People think I'm a hero, but I'm just the same as anyone else. Anyone? Well, most people. Decent people. I mean, If you were walking down the street and saw a car crash and catch fire, wouldn't you rush over and pull the driver out?
6: That's a little oversimplistic, Mr. Silver. Is it? Flying into the middle of a war zone to defuse an international crisis is a little more significant than pulling someone out of a burning car.
2: And it takes a little more than gasoline to burn me. My dad taught me that the more power someone has, the more chances that person has to help or hurt others. If I refuse to help wherever I can, then it's the same as hurting.
6: So, if you really have nothing to prove to anyone, then why did you take this interview?
2: Well, like I said, I really don't like the press most of the time. Oh, thanks. But I do trust them to do the right thing when they know the truth.
6: Oh man,
2: it's been a day. Hope you don't mind if I pop out for a smoke. A what? A smoke. Would that be a problem
6: no it's just i just wouldn't have pegged you for the type
2: well we all got our vices miss lara and none of us get out of this life alive so what the hell
6: could you um go a little farther off sorry i can't stand the smell
2: oh sorry yeah be back in a minute
6: the hell are you trying to pull calling me like that?
5: Don't take that tone of voice with me, Miss
6: Lynn. Silver was sitting across the table from me when you called. You could have blown the whole thing right then.
5: He was what? Does he know? Did he recognize my voice?
6: He said he couldn't hear. Something about being deaf in one ear?
5: This is very concerning, Miss Lynn.
6: Is it true?
5: I don't know. I'll have to check those medical scans again. I think there was a small abnormality in his eardrum, but... Which one? left, I believe. Wait, he's not still in the room, is he? No,
6: he's outside having a smoke. If your sonic shielding works... It does. Then there's nothing to worry about. He can't hear a thing.
5: Did you say he's having a smoke?
6: That's what he said, at least. That's not like him at all. Is the astros generator still active? Been running for about ten minutes now. I told him it was my recorder. Never
5: was the brightest star, that one. Well, just keep him talking by reading body is nearing an saturation point a few more rads, and he should be weak enough to do it.
6: Yes. About that. No second thoughts, I hope? Not... second thoughts, as such.
5: It's too late for doubt now, Lynn. Or have you forgotten who's responsible for your wife's death?
6: No. I haven't. Then
5: finish the job. You won't get another chance.
2: So why did you take this interview? What? What? Well, I just had a thought when I was up there. You don't like me very much, right?
6: I don't have to like you to do my job.
2: See that? I think you're bullshitting me. You're pretty high up, aren't you? I mean, not desperate for work, right?
6: Everyone in my field's desperate right now. Truth doesn't pay these days.
2: Well, you could turn this assignment down if you wanted. I mean, if you can't be objective, that would look pretty bad on your resume, right? Well, not wrong. So, if you wanted to, if you really thought this was a bad idea, or you really didn't want to be around me, you could have declined the interview. Yes or no? I couldn't.
6: Yes. Yes. So? Why did I take it? Why are we here? <sighs> My wife. Your? Wife. Yes. Ada. Adolin. Lynn Jacobs, after she agreed to marry me for some reason. I took her name when I started working. Had a nice ring to it, even if I had to fight her tooth and nail for it. Well, (laughs) I had to do that for most things anyway. Had to? Yeah. Had to. You really don't recognize me, do you? She was a pain in the ass. That's half the reason I loved her. We met on the debate team at NYU when I was a junior. There I was, taking a stand on the floor with this funky little psych major sitting across the auditorium, glaring daggers at me. How on earth was I supposed to resist?
2: Psych major?
6: Yeah, (laughs) that was about my reaction too. I told her she should switch to journalism when she finally agreed to go out with me. She had a knack for seeing through people. I only told her that once. You only ever told Ada something she didn't want to hear once. She'd rip your argument apart so fast it made your eyes water. First date was an unmitigated disaster. I couldn't keep up with her to save my life could have sworn we were done when I walked her back to her dorm. But then, she invited me up, and... Well, the rest is history. <sighs> what the hell am I doing? I'm supposed to be interviewing you, not the other way around.
2: I'm sorry if I overstepped. You
6: really did. I'm sorry did I... Did I ask for an apology?
2: No, but I think you need one.
6: Can we just move on, please? You tell me hope you don't mind if I take this. Saturation point reached. Do it. Now? The generator's running out of power. He'll be bulletproof again in five minutes. It's now or never. Understood? I... I understand. Don't disappoint me. Have you ever killed anyone? What? Have you ever killed anyone while you were... Helping people. No. No one. God. Of course I haven't killed anyone. Yeah, people die on your watch every day. One might say that you're responsible for their deaths.
2: I thought you didn't like the idea of me watching over people.
6: I might like it a little better if I actually felt safe.
2: Lara, look. I try. Okay? I do the best I can. But I can't be everywhere at once.
6: Really? Seems to me almost like you could. You and your powers and your god complex jumping into the fire to save us puny little humans from ourselves. You make us trust you. You make us hopeful, dependent, weak, and then the moment we really need you, you're gone. People die alone and afraid because of you.
2: She wasn't alone.
6: Oh, shit. So, you do remember me then.
2: Of course I do.
6: And you?
2: Yes. I saw Ada.
6: So what? You picked me over her? Decided I was worth saving and she wasn't?
2: I tried to get to her in time. I swear to you, I tried. You had a chance. She didn't. That's
6: bullshit and you know it.
2: There were a hundred other people in that building. Even more all across the city. All of them screaming out for me. And
6: what about them? Why did you save me and not them? I
2: saved as many as I could. And if I hadn't been there, then you wouldn't be sitting here accusing me of murder. Well,
6: maybe it would have been better that way. Well, what? No easy answers?
2: How would you explain yourself? What? I just want to know. How would you explain yourself? in your own words.
6: Huh. You know what, fine. You wanna know who I really am, really know? I am the person who believed in you since the moment you showed up in the sky saying you've come to save us. I am the person who turned down this interview at first because I didn't think I could find any fault with you. And I am the wife of the woman whose blood is on your hands.
2: Lara, please. You
6: want to know who I am? I am the person who saves us all from people like you.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God.
5: Oh, God.
6: Oh, God. Oh, God.
3: (laughs) Not a bad shot. At least it wasn't in the gut. Hold
6: on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to call on the ambulance. God.
3: Lara. Please. Don't.
6: Please, please, don't talk.
3: No ambulance. No help. Please. I knew what I was walking into. You... You knew? I'm not an idiot. Interview in an abandoned building two blocks from where your wife died. Kind of obvious. Then why did you... Because I thought I could save you. Pull you out of the fire.
6: You are an idiot.
3: <laughs> if you say so, hard to get a word in edgewise with you, isn't it? Better this way than the other. It's better this way. <laughs> <laughs>
5: i in.
9: Can I help you ma'am?
6: Sorry to bother you, but are you Andrew Payne?
9: Oh, I'm sorry, miss. This this really isn't a good time.
6: It's about your son.
9: Come in.
1: And the whole world continues to mourn the tragic loss of Silver, our city's finest defender and the one strand that seemed to connect.
9: Sorry, I I just can't help listening to that.
6: I understand.
9: You said this was about Paul?
6: It's, yeah, about him. And, well... And Silver. Oh, so you knew.
9: We lived at this apartment for ten years. It looked big enough for secrets. I see. Well, you got something to say, you best out and say it.
6: I... I was with your son when he died.
9: Where are you now? Girlfriend?
6: What? Oh, oh no. No, uh, I wasn't his... No.
9: (laughs) I didn't think so.
6: I'm a reporter. I was writing a piece on your son. At least I was supposed to be.
9: Christ. He didn't tell you his name, did he?
6: No, I figured that out on my own.
9: Told that boy he should have covered his face? (laughs) He didn't want to scare anybody though. Guess it don't matter now.
6: He said something to me I can't get my head around. As he was... He said it was better this way than the other. Do you know what he meant?
9: He tell you about his ear? Yes. He lost hearing in it when he was almost 12. The same day he got his powers. (laughs) The Lord giveth and he taketh away.
6: How did it happen?
9: There was a railway accident outside our hometown. He and a couple of friends were playing cowboys by the tracks when it happened. A terrible thing. The train was carrying waste from a chemical plant up north. One of the boys died right away. Two more got sick and died a week later. Paul barely pulled through, but when he woke up, he couldn't hear out of his left ear. Other than that, he was all right. Well... Different, but okay. So you think
6: the chemicals gave him his powers?
9: He always said so. Said they were still in him, too. Like fuel, he said. So when he got the diagnosis, he wasn't surprised a bit.
6: What diagnosis?
9: Brain tumor on the frontal lobe. Bad. Docs gave him six months, three years ago. He was a fighter, that boy. chemo helped, but... Well, we both knew he didn't have long. That's when he decided to put on the cape.
6: Did... Did he talk to you about my interview?
9: Hmm. I I think he mentioned it. Can't quite remember why.
6: He... Did he say goodbye to you before he left that day?
9: (laughs) We always said goodbye before we left. Bit of a pain family tradition, that one. What do you mean? Let's just say, coming home's never a guarantee in this family. My pop killed himself when I was ten, and his dad did the same when he was four. My wife, Paul's ma, she, soon after the accident, Paul never really got over it. But he was the one bright spot, that boy. In spite of everything, he he made me hope. He still does. You got somewhere to be?
6: I... Yes, I do. You're probably going to hear some strange things in the next couple of days. Please, don't let it change how you think of Paul. Promise me that.
9: Why would it?
6: Promise me.
9: I have known Paulie his entire life. Nothing anyone says could change my mind about him. Nothing. Thank you.
8: cozy, this place.
1: Well, we try our best, Mr. Blanc.
8: You know, I should give you the number of the interior decorator at the Globe. Now that place just screams thank- You have ten minutes. Much appreciated.
1: Oh, and could I get that number from you, by the way? I'm redecorating my house and wanted to- Have
8: my ten minutes started. Oh,
1: uh, right.
6: Good to see you again, Alan.
8: What in the hell did you think you were doing, Lara? Going behind my back on an assignment? Working with a wanted felon? Assassinating a subject? And Silverman of all people? What am I supposed to do with this? Say I had no idea what my own staff was doing? And don't get me started on the damage you've done to our reputation. As if people didn't distrust the news enough already. I... I... I...
6: I, That all?
8: Yeah. Thought I'd have more to say, but that's about it. How's the food?
6: Jesus Christ, Alan.
8: That bad, huh?
6: Yeah, that bad.
8: Here. Only thing in the vending machine that looked halfway decent.
6: Sure they want to arrest you for smuggling contraband?
8: A little act of defiance for an old friend. Even if I feel like I don't know her anymore. Alan. I mean, most of it I get. Don't agree with it, but I get it. That morning after the earthquake, I've never seen anyone that mad. I mean, call it grief, call it temporary insanity, or projecting, or whatever, but leaving your phone at the crime scene? What was going through your head to make you do that? Nothing. Nothing? I doubt that very much.
6: Static, white noise. It was just like... I've been sleepwalking and I just woke up.
8: People don't murder superheroes in their sleep, Lara.
6: I know that, but I, I don't know. It felt like that. Like everything I'd done was some kind of bad dream I was waking up from. Only what I was waking up to was even worse.
8: It wasn't your fault. The controller found you when you were vulnerable and grieving. And Do you he-
6: really think that that's how it went? I found him. It was my idea.
8: Oh. I see
6: they found him yet.
8: No, they're they're still looking. They tried using your phone to track his calls, but by the time they'd found his lab, he'd disappear. Damn. Still, they found a lot of forensic evidence. Maybe you gave them a chance by dropping that phone.
6: God, I hope so.
8: So, why now? What? Why call me now? It's been three months since your sentencing. Why not before?
6: I... I finished the story.
8: You finished? Lara, I'm sorry, but it's a little past due.
6: Please, Alan. I gave it to the warden. He promised that he'd let you take it if you asked.
8: Oh, Lara.
7: It's all
6: there. All of it. My story and his. My confession and my apology. You asked me what you're going to do with this mess. And I'm telling you. Run the story. Please.
8: I'll be kicking another hornet's nest if I do, Lara. Please.
6: For an old friend. One last favor.
8: Do I get the chips back if I say yes? Definitely not. (laughs) Didn't think so.
6: Is that a yes?
8: It's a definite maybe. Thank you. We're all done here. Alrighty then. Say, is there any chance we could stop by the warden's office on the way out?
6: Where do I begin? Last year, I had the opportunity to interview the man known as Silver. Sometimes Silver Man, sometimes the Silver Streak, and sometimes other names too stupid to put in print. He preferred Silver. To most people, he was an icon a beacon of hope in a hopeless world. Few people knew how true that really was. His origin, his life, and his death were all steeped in tragedy. He lost friends, family, and ultimately his own life to an ever-present darkness that struck without warning or purpose. It's a darkness many of us know all too well. A darkness I chose to embrace. And yet for all the reasons he had to lose hope and give in. He chose the light instead, not out of foolishness or a naive sense of optimism. He knew better than anyone how terrifying and meaningless this world we made truly is. All day, every day, he heard people crying out for help, sometimes people he could save, and more often those he could not. But it was the ones who didn't cry out who needed his help the most. I know. I was one of them. For a long time, I blamed Silver for my loss and suffering, believing that if I could kill him, my life would finally make sense again. But he knew the truth, that life is pain and loss and heartbreak from the day we're born to the day we die. But it's also hope. So long as we're alive, there's still a chance to change to choose a different path, to help others and make life a little less terrible. I will never be forgiven for what I've done. I know that. I've accepted that. But I am alive and I have a choice. Wallow in the dark or work to prove myself wrong. To prove that the light is really stronger than the darkness, it isn't easy. It never was, but it's only a choice, and while we're alive, we can always choose. The golden age of hope is gone. We can't bring it back to life by clinging to the past, but there's a new age dawning, an age of heroic defiance and hopeful resistance in the face of despair, a silver age that will shine all the brighter for the dark surrounding it. I may not live to see that day, but once we've all had a chance to mourn and grow and move on, I believe that we'll choose hope and work to make it real.
4: The future, always shifting, always uncertain, and even more so within the Source. Only in time can we know which future comes to pass, or if there is even a future at all. I am Amy Sterling, and within this place I see all the worlds that I have lost, though maybe not forever.
1: The Sheraton Tapes, interlude one. The Silver Age Starring Alison McDonald page as Lara Victoria Ann Farber as Ada Bodhi Silva as Silverman Gus Krieger as The Controller Jeff Bromy as Andrew and Charles Scatellini as Alan with Meredith Nudo as Amy Sterling and original music by Jesse Hagen Written and produced by Trevor Van Winkle with transcriptions by Virginia Spots and dialogue editing and sound design by Trevor Van Winkle Visit thesheridantapes.com to view original content rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice and connect with us on Twitter at SheridanTapes and on Instagram at TheSheratonTapes I'm Van Winkle. And I'm Virginia. This is Homestead on the Corner. And you're listening to The Sheridan Tapes.